All right, game one wasn't great, but there's more games to come. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about how the Nuggets can pull this off today on Locked on Nuggets. You are Locked on Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked on Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thanks for making this your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, where you can join the show and be a part of the show by putting in your comments. We're always getting great comments from folks. People are already filing in here on a Monday morning to talk about game two between the Denver Nuggets and the Golden State Warriors. If you missed it yesterday, we recapped the game. Uh, let me recap that again for you. It was bad. Uh, nothing <laughs> went right, and the Nuggets are screwed. And that's pretty much like the big takeaway that we kind of came from it. But, 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 because we're professional analysts today, we're going to give you a more a more balanced perspective. We're going to talk a little bit more in detail on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Third segment, we'll give a prediction for Game Two, and uh, we'll talk about what we saw around the NBA this weekend. Uh, my name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined by Adam Mares. You can follow his work on Twitter at. Adam underscore Mares. Adam, uh, let's start here. You you did a rewatch, did a detailed rewatch. You got got the list up, and I guess my my first question for you is offensively. Yeah, did Denver play the best that it? Not the best. Did Denver play better than it looked, worse than it looked, or about how it looked? I think for the most part, the rewatch was about on both ends of the court about how it looked. I think the thing that was different up for me upon rewatch is a better sense of there's things Denver can do better. Um, and in particular, I mean, this whole series to me comes down to that Draymond at center lineup. I mean, that's those are the lineups that really killed Denver. I thought Yoke did a great job against Kevon Looney. But it's against Draymond Green at center in any configuration, whether it's the true death lineup, which features Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins on the court with Stephen Clay, or whether it's with Otto Porter or Bielitz or one of these other guys. It, those configurations are where the game is going to be won or lost. And I just walked away from a rewatch with a better sense of ball bounced against Denver. And those lineups in particular, a few things bounced um, Golden State's way that I think were just sort of sheer luck. And then, you know, Jokic missed a couple shots that I think he's going to make in game two. So I have a better sense of Denver's ability to weather that storm. Um, but you also walk away with the idea that Steph Curry is yet to play his best basketball. And that's probably coming the deeper we get into the series. Who's somebody that you think uh, specifically can play better offensively? I have, there's an obvious one here, but I, I want to see what, what you kind of think. Who do you think is going to have more opportunities maybe than they showed in game one? Who should get more opportunities maybe than they got in game one? Um, Who's somebody that you think can make an impact offensively? I mean, the obvious answer is Aaron Gordon, who was just really bad. And I think when we talked about settling for shots, there were a few in particular in that. Again, we're talking about that death lineup, the small ball lineup that the Warriors throw out there. That's where he can really sort of that's where he's needed the most. He has to punish them. And the team ran some actions to him specifically like, hey, here it is. Here's the th I'm sure it was one of those. Here's that thing we talked about. This is this is that thing we worked on all week. Let's see what happens. And he just let them off the hook just way too many times. So he's the obvious answer. But, uh, you know, I, I know you, you probably are thinking like Monte or Barton or Jeff Green or these guys. Jeff Green, definitely. I think Denver found something by going to him in the post in the second half uh, against that small ball lineup. 
he might be a better one-on-one player in that situation than Aaron Gordon, or at least as good. So maybe that's an option. And then the one that'll shock you is just Jokic. Like Jokic had a good, not bad, not good game. I mean, he has to have a great game, not just a good game. He has to have a great game. He had not good, not bad. And I think in those lineups in particular, I look at it and I go, Yoke can probably score another 10 points just off of punishing that specific uh, situation. So I think this is a good example of um, Second Spectrum's got that that talks about what your expected EFG is. And the problem with this is always that it's based off of um, shot location, contest level, and it's like league average. But there is a stat in there that actually factors for the quality of the shooter. It actually takes like, well, how yeah. does this player shoot that way? Right, right. And what I thought was really interesting was that when the when the Warriors played drop coverage versus Jokic um, in pick and roll, like if Jokic was a screener, essentially, the Nuggets shot 11.6% worse. And more importantly, their expected effective field goal percentage there was 54.5. That's really good. That's 73rd percentile for the weekend for everybody. So what I kind of like take away from that and like this matches up with the eye test is I actually think like a guy that probably needs to be a little bit more aggressive is Monte Morris. And I know that that's difficult with the level of, of the level of perimeter defenders that they have coming over the screen to contest. But if they're going to let you, if they're going to give you drop coverage, if they're going to, this is like similar to what we saw with Phoenix and it's part of the issue, right? Is like, if they just send all of their, their help at Jokic and pick and roll, you have to make them pay for it. Like you just have to, whether that's drifting, you know, fadeaways, which Monte has shown that he can hit this year or uh, pull up threes off the dribble, like whatever it is. Like, I feel like Monte Morris is probably a guy that needs to apply a little bit more pressure. Again, I think the biggest thing here is you're trying to get the warriors out of rotation and it's very difficult, but like that to me is the key because if you do that, that opens up better rhythm threes than what they got in game one. You agree? Um, probably. Yeah. I mean, probably, I, I think the mid range that you were talking about in pick and roll is actually a big part of this for Monte specifically, like Monte was a, I don't want to say a no show, but he wasn't an impact player offensively in this in game one. And I think that he plays an important role. And we saw this by the way, against uh, some of the teams they faced last year um, where he can play that pick and roll as a shooter and it changes the way that they re- protect the rim or defenses protect the rim. So, um, you know, there's something there about, hey, if you can, the Warriors are all, are making bets on what Denver wants to do and what they can do. And if you punish them with that mid-range pull-up, that's one of the things they're saying you can't do that at a high level. So if you yeah. punish them for that, it makes them change. It, there's a trickle-down effect. I think versus bad defenses, you want to exploit what they have to give up. And with great defenses, you need to break them of the stuff that they're willing to give you. Right. And that to me is like a lot of this. And they're willing to give Jokic post-ups to a degree. Well, they did um, a good job. I mean, again, Draymond did a good job against him in the post. So you live, you don't live with it if Jokic is scoring 1.2 points per post-up. But if you can keep him down to one, you know, one point per post-up, that's like, okay, that's a trade-off they're willing to take. Yeah, I think that's an that's a question I, I want, and we're pro- I'm probably gonna have to ask you this like, after every single game. Like, do you think Jokic can win that matchup? I do. I do think he can win that matchup, and he can be better than what he was. Um, even and here's the funny thing: even just given how things went in this last game, like Denver didn't punish them from outside, they didn't pu- punish him from other ways. So, but even with that, I still think Jokic can win that matchup a lot better. In fact, if you think about it, Matt, 
he had the tip in in the second half that he missed. Like how often do we see the little one-handed one-foot tip in? Yeah. He missed it not once, but twice he missed it. Mm -hmm. Then he missed a little floater down the lane. So he had a couple, he had a post up on Draymond where he spun to the right. I think he got, I think Draymond fouled the hell out of him, but he missed that one as well. And that's another one that he usually makes. So there were, I would say four or five shots. Not that you expect Jokic to always make every shot that he shoots, you know, 80, 90% on, but I just think he shot below even what you would expect on those. And then lastly, you know, I don't like to do the foul thing because that's just basketball. And I, and I always tip my hat, especially to a team like the Warriors and a player like Draymond, who we said this coming into the ser series, he's really good at fouling and getting away with it. He's really good at elevating the level of physicality and then just establishing, okay, this is the baseline. Everything below this is not a foul. And he did that in game one. I have to think with the comments after the game that the that the Nuggets are going to really lobby as this series go on for, hey, we can't change the standard for what a foul is because there was, I mean, Sarah, Doris Burke did a great job calling this, by the way, where they'd go back and look at the replays where Draymond has one arm wrapped around Jokic's belly or has a hand on the shirt or this or that. And those plays, you, you just can't let slide. So I do think that Jokic will probably shoot more free throws and the game will call, be called a little bit different in game two. We'll see how it goes as the series goes on. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about defense and what the Nuggets can do on that side, which uh, that is quite the, the steeper hill to climb. Ooh. We'll talk about that when we come back on Locked on Nuggets. But first, I want to tell you about Athletic Greens Company. It's this great powder, and it's going to get you covered on in all sorts of ways. You just put a cup, a scoop, in some water in the morning and drink it, and you're set for the entire day. Uh, it tastes very tropical, which is really nice. It tastes better than all the other supplements that I've tried. What is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of... AG1. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. Just all the things it helps you with. Um, I I've been using it because I'm trying to make sure that I'm eating enough during the playoffs because that's always a problem for me. and I need, like, I need stuff to help me keep healthy and, and up because uh, I get really worn down watching games and doing all the, the writing that I do. Uh, it's lifestyle friendly. So if you're, if you're on a different diet, paleo, vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free, it contains less than one gram of sugar. So no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. It still tastes good and it supports better sleep quality and recovery. It helps you with mental clarity. Um, it's, a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing that you can do every single day to take care of yourself. Self-care, obviously, always important. You know, your subscription comes with a year supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add in um, when it gets cold out. That's been a huge thing for me during because I have uh, seasonal affect disorder and I get really, really bummed in the winter months. I have like sun lamps everywhere. Uh, so that really helps. The vitamin D helps a lot with that. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover that was costing him $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on his own. It's going to cost you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Uh, they've got over 7,000 five-star reviews recommended by professional athletes and trusted by leading health experts. 
right now. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NBA network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NBA network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We're also brought to you today by Built Bar. It's Built Bar time. Uh, so Built Bar, I don't know if you've heard this from me before, but it's a it's an amazing protein bar covered in 100% chocolate that's got 17 grams of protein. It's just like an amazing combination. And like, I just, I sit there watching my kids eating their Easter candy. And I just think to myself, you're not getting any protein. None of you, none of you are getting any protein. That's why they need to need to be having the built bars. If I can talk them into it, but it shouldn't be hard because they're all so tasty. you got great flavors like mint brownie and coconut, coconut almond new for this month is white chocolate cookies and cream. Don't forget about the puffs. They're protein infused marshmallows covered in hundred percent real chocolate. Most built bars have got just 130 calories, only four grams of sugar and only four net carbs. Check it out today at built.com and use promo code locked 15 L O C K E D one five and get 15% off your order. Use promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. We'll be right back on locked on nuggets. Back here on Locked On Nuggets, thanks for making us part of your day and your first listen each and every day. Make your second listen, Locked On Now. It's got daily recaps of all the playoff games from our host of experts. Check it out, Locked On Now, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, All right, Adam. So in game one, I would say things did not go great for the Denver Nuggets uh, defense. I would say that that was not an ideal situation for them, particularly given the fact that... uh, we kind of knew like their defense had fallen off a cliff these last few months and it did not go great in that game. I think particularly given the fact that Jordan Poole shot 39.9% over his expected field goal percentage in this game actually wasn't expected to like, he had a bunch of tough shots, but he absolutely tore some. He had an 88.5 effective field goal percentage. That's pretty well, good. I think, I think he had three deep threes. Which yeah. are like not really his guy. I know people don't don't realize this, but it's not really his game. No. <laughs> Everybody thinks Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, like, oh, that he's just an extension of that. He's actually a little bit different, but he ran really, really hot in this game. But it's important to note, he ran really, really hot in one of the games they played towards the end of the season in the regular season against Denver as well. So it could be that there's something to this matchup that gives him confidence or that just allows him to get in his comfort zone. What do you think is the biggest thing the Nuggets can do defensively in game two? Um, well, a couple, a couple things. Number one, I mean, I do think that as you were referencing here, Golden State made shots. Um, and so part of this is if you go back and watch that first quarter, I thought this watching live, but I really thought it watching it on replay where you just start to count the points and 15 points that you kind of look at and say, those were below 50% shots that they took and they made almost all of them. Do, so if they just make half of those, does Denver have a seven, eight point lead going into the second quarter? And how does that change the complexion of the game? So I think part of it is sticking with that. But the biggest thing, and I wrote, this is what I wrote about today on the list. Denver cannot control. You can't shut Golden State down. The best I could see Denver having is like a 110 defensive rating, like which is still like average. Like it's the best you could hope for. And that would take them regressing shooting. But doing the easy part is half the battle, not screwing up the communication on switches, not getting lost off ball because you take that half second off. Denver has to be locked in. Do I have faith that Denver can lock in for 48 minutes? Absolutely not. I don't think I've seen it once this entire season. So why would I expect to see it in game two? But can they do it 90%, 95%? I mean, I would say in game one, they were locked in 
First quarter for like 90% of plays, second quarter for about 70%, third quarter for about 70%, and then that just wasn't good enough. So Denver has to elevate their level of just doing the easy part, not screwing up the easy the easy pieces. They gave up 13 what are described as lightly contested threes based off of uh, where the defender was in game one. The, the Warriors made seven of those. Mm. Uh, that's an 82.7% EF. Like that's where they honestly got killed on, you know, when they were contesting, it was 52%, which is good enough, but not, it wasn't elite. And then they only gave up eight uncontested shots in the game, which is not terrible. I think for the pace of the game, but it's these, it it's again, this to me gets back to like when I watched, it was that they were indecisive and it's shocking to me, not shocking. It's, it's a little surprising to me that they would not that they would get so rattled as to be as to be indecisive again i just think with golden state is better it is better to make you're gonna make mistakes i just don't think that any team can can be flawless against them outside of boston you know because you have to have i think phoenix can you have to have like the personnel even phoenix i think would struggle because of the switching like Phoenix isn't as good at switch now because they don't have the they don't have the small ball options that they used to. Um, maybe, but we'll probably see that in the conference finals. Um, but like those two teams, even are the only two teams I think that can probably be flawless. Everybody else is going to make mistakes. They just they put too much pressure on you with with how, with how their offense operates. But if you're going to make mistakes, make the mistakes hard. And, yeah. and there, I think there are teams that I don't. I, I would be curious to see your 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 perspective on this because sometimes you tend to be like, well, look trying hard in a dumb way is worse. Sometimes I think with golden state, it's better to try really hard and make, because, because you're gun like you have to bake in the mistakes. Right. And if you can make the mistakes, not hurt you as much because you gave high level effort, then I think like you, you just need a few of those possessions to chip away at the efficiency in order to get them in their range. Does that make sense? A thousand percent. I mean, this is what's funny about watching the whole weekend of, of teams now you watch Boston and and the level of intensity that they play with and Phoenix and and not just them by the way you watch even Minnesota who's not like a great defense and you just watch how they are at a higher level of intensity do they still make mistakes at the same rate probably but guess what mistakes kill you a little bit less when you're just ratcheted all the way up to 100% so Denver if I were to say like what was Denver's defensive intensity level relative to the other 15 playoff teams in the first quarter I say would matched it was really good. I mean, I went back and I was so impressed with the defense, how they were rotating everything in the first quarter. After that, I would say it was probably bottom two or three in terms of just how locked in and intense they were. Now, maybe maybe that, and I think it actually does have a lot to do with the fact that Golden State ran them ragged. They were very tired, and fatigue is going to play a role in the series just because that's part of what Golden State does. They just make you run, run, run. But Denver, I, they have to elevate. If, if I were to say, like, what gear they were in. I think they played that game in fourth gear. They got to get up to sixth gear somehow. Yeah. I think a lot of this is, um, I, I think that there was so much focus on not making mistakes that when the, when the intensity turned up and the atmosphere ramped up and all of that, I, I think that was to me was kind of like when I watched them, that was where their head was at was like, yeah. can't make a mistake. Can't make a mistake. And it's like, you have to play hard. Like that's step one. And this is what makes it so difficult, but this really is it is like, you have to, you have to be, you have to go a hundred miles an hour. You have to have that six gear. 
and you have to be very precise. Like right. that's, that's what makes it so challenging. But I do think that there's something to be said for that. Um, I want to ask you, Zeke is available. Should Zeke play in the series? I don't think he's going to, but we can talk about it in the theoretical. Do you think Zeke should play in the series? Well, first of all, I don't like, at what point do you just start trying things? I, I think it was, I kind of shook my head yesterday. Harrison wind had a report from nuggets practice where uh, the headline for the article was, um, what could be the key to changing the series in game two? Bryn Forbes or something. I just like, oh my God, Warriors and four. <laughs> like if this is where we're at, that we're already at the like Bryn Forbes is going to change the series. But honestly, <laughs> the, the reason that's, the, I, I, I'm kind of joking here, but Denver doesn't have good options. So Zeke, Najee, you get to a situation if you're down 0-2 or who knows, you know, one, one to three or something like that, you got to try something out. Why not try Zeke Najee? He can guard, he can make shots like, at this point, you might have to try some crazy combinations just to see what works. People people did not like my suggestion that Faco Composo could, should play in this series. I maintain they didn't it. didn't like it? People didn't like it. I did. Like, <laughs> I, I got I got people being like, somebody go, there was, there was literally somebody that tweeted at me that was like, this is a cry for help. Like, that was, I mean, that's where the Nuggets are, though. They're at a yeah. cry for help spot. Right they, they are. <laughs> that should be. That's going to be the title of the podcast. Game two, a cry for help. Um, I mean, here's here's one thing nobody talks about this year, Matt. Like the PJ Dozier, he's a small enough play role player that you don't talk about him when he's lost. What? How important would he be in the series if he were healthy right now? Huge. I, I was about that during the when we were doing yesterday's show. Was, nobody will talk about that but that's like a piece that they're missing that actually could make an impact in a series like this and it's specifically why he was on the roster it's just like it, it's again with all the injuries it's just guys right it's just like you know because like here's one okay Steph's gonna have a, have all these opportunities because Austin's chasing him and Austin had a bad game and Poole's gonna have a big game what if you chip away at Clay's efficiency because PJ right. Dozier's able to hang with him because he's got the yeah. size just like one more option, you know, yeah. it's that the Nuggets have so few options in the, in this situation. Um, I think I will say this. I do think the Nuggets, uh, um, you're going to, I think you might object to this in the, uh, in, in, from, from a moral a basketball, an ethical basketball perspective. I think they probably got to try some hack whenever he's in. I mean, look, I, I mean, yeah, I do hate it from a moral perspective, but uh, there's a lot of things in today's game I don't like from a moral perspective. <laughs> um, you know, your point yesterday or in our last show really sticks out to me that the Nuggets had a 112.7 defensive rating in this game, which is like, I honestly don't know how much more you can hope for. It, again, they made some shots, Jordan Poole was on fire, but that's the Warriors at their best are going to be a, a no-hoper offense. And Denver, if you if you were able to hold that, or, or was it? Or was it the other way? Wasn't it? It I was the other way. Bad. They had the what? They had the offense. They did enough yeah. on offense, <laughs> but they gave up a one twenty defensive bad. rating. Um, Denver. I mean, the rebounding is the only other piece that we haven't gone over here. And one thing that stood out to me as I went through the tape, they did a good job of having Jokic on the perimeter. It's funny. One of my thoughts I had, Matt, was so much has been made for why are Jokic's defensive stats so high? It's the rebounding, and rebounding's not important. Well, one of the things that's funny is Golden State has said, what if we take Jokic away from the rebounding and force the other guys to do it? What happens? And what you find out is nobody rebounds. So yeah. I, it, it actually, in a funny way, almost makes me appreciate Jokic's rebounding more because when he's out there trying to guard two, three dribble handoffs in a row and a shot goes up, he's not the one that can grab the board on a lot of those offensive rebounds. Yeah. Jokic has also got to, again, I said this after 
in yesterday's show, but the biggest thing for me is they got to get up in the bodies and pick and roll. They, you have to stag. The goal. You, know, you say that, but you know, two plays that really stood out to me were when he did jump out on those dribble handoffs, and they get they're so good at the quick pass, like where they catch the handoff and in one motion pass it to the screener, who then becomes the roller, and then it's Draymond Green running full speed. So yeah. I agree with you that he does have to be up more, but just know that there is a huge punishment for that yes. as well. That they are like the best in the league at, yes. at taking yeah. advantage of. One hundred percent. No, I I totally agree with you. Like this is not a. This is more about you're trying to make it more variant. That's that I think is why I'm trying to get to here is like I want higher variance in the outcomes rather than a steady them just like killing you every it's not even like a little bit like they're it's chunks as opposed to massive, massive chunks. Right. But if you're able to force those turnovers and especially this is the deal. If you if you can stagnate it, if you don't allow that pass and they have to reset the offense, that's where you really benefit. Because then Golden State's like, shit, we have 11 seconds on the clock. Okay. Like, you want them in those situations where it's like somebody's going to have to just make an individual play. Because they're still going to be good, but they're not going to be like 1.3 points per possession good. I totally agree with you. And Steph's gotten better at that pass. Like, I wrote a thing this season about how Steph's gotten a lot better at passing. He still screws up in in a lot of situations when you apply that pressure, if you can time it right. And that gets easier over the course of a series. If you can time, <laughs> I know, I know. I, I'll tell you, I don't have a ton of faith in this. Cause I, to me, the, if the, if they catch the ball downhill, it's actually the number one option for them. And so the question is how often can you not let them catch that pass? And I just don't have a ton of faith in Denver's ability. Can I tell you the one thing I've been thinking about as I'm watching the film here, and you're going to think this is the craziest thing. Part of me wonders if the best bet is just to switch Jokic and let them ISO Jokic because they are not, surprisingly, a great isolation team. They make a lot of shots, and it's going to look really bad on Jokic when he gets ice crossed over by Curry and Curry hits a step back three. But look, Denver's getting carved up the other way, and Jokic is getting exhausted because he has to jump left, jump right, jump hedge, drop down. Like It's exhausting. At least putting him in isolation is going to be less exhausting and saying, you know what, they're going to score a lot of points, but we're going to have it's going to be an easier defense. And then the other part of me, the other thing I thought about was Denver has liked to play some zone. I wonder, and this is like super revolutionary, Matt, you're going to laugh at this because it's like a a crazy idea. I wonder if Denver can switch into a zone, meaning whenever Jokic gets switched out on the perimeter, you default into a zone with Jokic at the top of it. And the reason I think this could work is, one, it's just different. Like you just have to throw something different at them that makes them think, what do we do in this situation? And two, it preserves Jokic. Again, he gets switched. He's out on the perimeter anyway. Then you just zone up. So if he tries, they try to take you to the left wing, all of a sudden you get a natural switch in it. So to me, I just don't have faith in Denver being able to execute their scheme against this. So I'm I'm all for trying different things and just seeing how it goes. I like that idea. I think that's probably got some upside to it. Do you think um, the Warriors want Jordan Poole ISOing 15, 20 times a game? Like, is that their like default? This is what we would prefer? No, but they're also, I will say this, they're really good about they they are very good about we're gonna pick at you and break you like they win that mental battle. That yeah. to me is like one of the, the best things about them is how good they are at like you're gonna have to we're gonna hurt you with this. Like we know you don't we know you we know you know we don't like this. Right. And so we're gonna hurt you with it enough times to make it untenable. Like they just they win those games. So so few teams. This is one of the things about about Houston that was really really impressive defensively was that 
KD would hit would hit pull up jumper and pull up jumper and pull up jumper and pull up jump and they would just be like, okay, that's fine. Like they yeah. never got rattled. They would pick on it and pick on it and pick on it. And Houston was just like, that's fine. We'll live with that. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get bothered by it. And that game plan discipline, I think, is a lot. I hear what you're saying on um, on getting him downhill. I, I just always kind of consider. And Poole may, may also be like the shift on this, right? Where if you have Poole and Thompson, essentially like a third splash brother with the way that he's playing, that may change the dynamic here. Because like, if it's Wiggins, eh, you live with it. If it's Otto Porter, eh, you right, live with right. it. But if you got Poole and Thompson, both able to hurt you, not only on spot-ups, but off the dribble, that may make it untenable. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll make a prediction for game two, and we'll talk about what's going on around the league. We'll just uh, hit up all that and more when we come back on Locked On Nuggets. The first one I want to tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. I'm going to be on Rudy Gobert over 15 and a half rebounds tonight. The Mavericks play too small and will not be able to get enough rebounds against Gobert. He's going to absolutely feast in that matchup. I do think the Mavericks might be live in this game, though. Very interested to see what happens there. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of Major League Baseball season. Go Rockies. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. We'll be right back on Locked on Nuggets. Back here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for making this part of your day and your first listen each and every day. Make sure you check out Locked On NBA. I'm on tomorrow's show recapping tonight's games as well as Adam on Friday. Lots of great stuff from from us as well as the, all the other awesome hosts on Locked On NBA. Check it out right now wherever you get podcasts. Uh, all right, Adam, we can make this uh, short and, and sweet. Uh, do you think the Nuggets... Hmm, I'm trying to think about an interesting way to phrase this because I think we both agree like do we think the Nuggets will win game two? No. Do we think they can win game two? Yeah. What I, do, think what, they, I can think they can win game two. What chance do you give them? 20%. I mean, it's still not good. I mean, I think I'm going to give them 20% in a lot of these games. 25%. Maybe you get home, it goes up to 30% or so. So, like, it's a, a meaningful chance. But, you know, they're just underdogs. They're underdogs in the series. They're underdogs in every game. Um, you know, all those things. The number one thing to me is that death lineup the first stint when they come out and by the way, so I know they, they do it a couple times. They, they brought out their first small ball lineup, like five minutes into the game. Yeah. Steve Kerr actually called a timeout in frustration at the warriors and then went to that lineup and Denver did a pretty good job against it. I think that you kind of have to, you have to set. So a seed of doubt in them with that lineup. Cause right now they have none. If they win, who's the story of the game? it's hard to probably Aaron Gordon. I I mean, I would guess just because of how poorly he was in that first one. Um, But the story honestly might also be Jokic. I mean, it's a, it's a simple answer, but if you come out and have, as Draymond put it, a 40, 15, 15, okay, probably won't be that. But if you come out and have a 40 point game where you just were so dominant that it was like, wow, maybe the warrior small ball is hyper vulnerable. um, You know, that's one path to victory. So it's either to me, probably either Aaron Gordon or Jokic. Uh, somebody says Rivers. That's a good call. Like Austin actually plays better in game two, gets a little bit. Yeah, he was, he was pretty bad in game one. Um, yeah. So he definitely can improve in game two. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the league in general. Uh, I'm, let's, I guess let's start here in the other side of the bracket uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies. The 
Uh, I picked the Wolves in the series, much to the chagrin of, of my Memphis folks uh, who were very upset with me and have not been in my mentions as much since Saturday. We'll see how this series plays out. Um, here's a fun, actually, here's a, here's a, a form, more fun one. Give me like the big overreaction take for Wolves Grizzlies. What's like the big, well, you're, you're, it's your funny one about how the, the uh, Grizzlies are so bad in the half court. And with the game slows down, you control pace. Are they as good as they look? And that's, I mean, honestly, that's the overreaction is that the Warriors, I don't think did, or the Wolves didn't do anything special in that game. It wasn't like they had an outlier performance from, mm-hmm. you know, role player, this or that. They just kind of played what you would expect them to play and they dominated the game. So that would be my hyper overreaction is that Memphis looked worse than they have in like three months, but not because anybody shot poorly or did anything poorly, just because they looked different. And that's a big credit to Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota came out in the first half or in the first quarter and played drop. And I was like, what are you doing? Why, why would you do this? And jaw has 15 and then jaw shot three of 13 for 17 points the rest of the way. Like just, a, a they, once they started playing their actual scheme, things went much better for Minnesota. Um, you might not be able to play that scheme. Here's a funny thing. Like I would bet a lot of that has to do with conserving energy. Like, can you play up at the level against jaw every single for 48 minutes, probably not. And I wonder if Denver has the same equation in their mind of like, Jokic was exhausted by the third quarter in game one. Okay, do we have to concede a little bit in quarters two and three to be ready for quarter four? Maybe. Uh, let's talk Suns Pelicans. I don't have a big take on this game other than just like Chris Paul. I guess my, my overreaction take, take is just like, Chris Paul is the third best point guard of all time. <laughs> Chris Paul was amazing. I think it's laughable that... I mean, I've said this before, and it's no knock on Devin Booker, who is also awesome. He's not the MVP of their team. Like, when push comes to shove, you find out where this team really is. And Booker had a great season. I still, when the game is on the line, I want Chris Paul running things because he's nearly perfect at all all of that. Um, My overreaction, if I was to go to that game, would be that the Suns look like they were ready just to make this look like the Warriors, where it's like, oh, they're just on another level. And then they dropped the ball a little bit. And it made me think, like, hmm. Probably just the Pelicans. You don't have to be locked in the way that you know most teams have to, but they looked just a little bit less good than I expected them to. Yeah, Pelicans, I think, let them off the hook a little bit with some of their stuff. Um, no doubt about it. Pelicans honestly should have made this a closer game. They had a chance. They had a real chance in this one. Brandon Ingram is a good player. He's a oh, really good player. It. And he brings a lot to the table. I hate the way he plays. I feel about him the way you feel about a lot of other guys. Like I just But I feel that way about him as well. So I hate watching Brandon Ingram play. I just and he had like his first season in New Orleans under Gentry. I felt like he had a really good decision making matrix. And he's gone back to those bad habits under Willie Green, who's a really good coach. Uh Jazz Mavericks, you know, Luka Doncic, not gonna play in this one. There's a lot of skepticism for the series. That's like the going conversation. I still think Luka's gonna play at some point in the series. Uh, I bet Dallas, I'll let you know this. I bet Dallas after game one, it went to five to one. I, I think they're still alive. Um, the, the, the number of ways that you look at that game and you go, they exploited the right things. The Mavericks just shot horribly and it wasn't even great defense. It was just pretty good defense from Utah. I, I still think Utah can, or I still think Dallas can win the series. This is the one series I didn't watch. Um, I, I think it was the first game on, mm-hmm. um, so I didn't really see it. My only takeaway would be the Jazz have caught a break, man, without without Luca, and so has. I mean, I hate to say it, but the 76ers too have just caught such a break. I thought the series was going to be great. Now there's no Scotty Barnes, no Kerry Trent Jr., and you just think, oh my god. 
Uh, Trent's got a non-COVID illness. He should be okay. Um, the Barnes thing, obviously, is really bad. If you need a rookie that badly, you might be in bigger trouble than maybe you thought. I like the I six. Know, I, Scotty Barnes is really good, though, man. He like, is really I, good. I he's know my rookie of the year. What? Yeah, I know, but but you're kind of you're you're making it sound like he's not an impact player when he, I, in my opinion, he is a he is an impact player in that series. He's an impact player. I just here's here's my thing. I don't think Scotty Barnes is the impact is an impact player between where I think the Sixers are and where I think the Raptors are. Um, I I like the Sixers a lot in this I, series. I do. I know. I think that's Everyone, four, like, David, Thorpe was, David Thorpe was on this. Like the the Raptors were the smart basketball folks. Like that was their whole thing, and I felt. Dumb and a lot of it is Scotty, Bar- is Scotty Barnes. Like he's a big piece of what they they accomplished defensively. Yeah, I mean they, they were getting worked though that entire game with Barnes. Like Barnes didn't get hurt first quarter either. Yeah, well, Tyrese Maxey also had a career night. Like uh, to me, that's it's okay. You're at home. You get a giant performance from somebody you didn't necessarily expect to have a giant performance. Like I, if I was Toronto, I would have looked at that game one and thought, interesting, but okay. Like that's not like an, it's not like Denver Warriors where you're like, oh god, their best thing is the they lost in the exact way you were worried about. You look at that and go, all right, Tyrese Maxey, maybe he is this good. We'll find out. But now you lose these please key players, and I look at it and I go, I just don't see a path for for Toronto. I mean, until or unless they get um, their guys back. I don't want anybody hurt, like, ever. Like, it sucks. I like Dealing with, like, the pain that these guys go through is it's a lot once you see it up close and personal. I'm also annoyed because I really wanted the Sixers to destroy them so that I would feel right. And now it's going to be, oh, but Scotty Barnes wasn't, wasn't there. And I'm going to be like, no, they were going to win anyway. Uh, the Miami Heat took care of the Atlanta Hawks very easily in game one. Uh, I don't think the Hawks can match up here at all. I don't either. Uh, the Boston Celtics and Brooklyn Nets played a hell of a game. Just a hell of a year. And uh, you were just in awe of Kyrie Irving as everyone was. He was absolutely spectacular in that game. I ruined Easter because my family was like taking photos and stuff right at the at the end of this game. And I'm like, everybody get out of the way. What are you doing? I'm trying to watch this incredible finish. Uh I like the Nets here still. I picked them to win the series. I, I think they're going to win. The Celtics had the Celtics won points in the paint, offensive rebound, second chance points, points off of turnovers, hit more threes, one by one on a Jason Tatum game buzzer beater. Yeah. All that. All of that. They won by one. It's weird, man, because Brooklyn is just a funny team. Like we talk about Denver and all the little adjustments and this or that. And like Brooklyn just goes out there and plays, man. Like they, in so many hoopers. ways, they're just hoopers, man. And then that's funny because they got two of the best of all best hoopers of all time. Yeah. Uh, KD was um, pretty bad in this one. Like that was that was one of my big takeaways. I was just shocked at how many times he got flustered and frustrated. It's probably just a bad game for him. I'm sure he'll have 40 in this next one. Uh, but Kyrie was unbelievable. I mean, that guy again. Like they'll probably. The thing is, they might just keep doing this, where one of them's really on and the other one's like just average, and you keep going back like this. If you ever get both of those guys on, they're going to win by twenty. Um, but if you get both of them off, they're probably going to lose by twenty. You get one of them on, and it's going to come down to the wire. <laughs> um, the Celtics did a great job of bumping him out of his spot. Like there was highlights. Like I, I tweeted this, just like the Celtics played like the blueprint for KD. Like it's it now it. it cannot matter. And I think that a lot of it was like, he would just like lose the ball or miss makeable shots, but they did the stuff that they needed to. I'll say that like, you're not going to get a better. They won that game because of Tatum and that final possession for sure. But if you look at like the entire game, their defense on Kevin Durant is why they won that game. Right. 
Uh, and they're so impressive. Boston defensively is just like you know, insane. Absolutely insane. And then let's see, four or five is Sixers. Uh, Bucks, Bulls. Uh, hey, yeah. Bucks once again, once again, going to torture me by not playing up to their standard. Just terrible shooting on open shots where I'm just like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And they still allow like a, they allowed a ton of threes. That was the, the matchup in the series I was most interested in. The Bulls don't take threes, but they shoot them at a high percentage. And the Bucks allow a ton of them. And so I, that was a question. And instead, the Bulls took a ton of threes, and then they shot a low percentage. And I was like, oh, Bulls. Like, they had so many chances in that game. Vucevic had a good game other than the making shots that mattered most. Like, he had so many wide-open threes or wide-open – not really wide-open, but contested shots at the rim, and I just felt like he didn't make any of them, despite the fact that he was actually really good in everything else. That's what was such a bummer about it. Um, yeah. my, big, my big note on this, though, was – just how damn good Alex Caruso is as a defender. And I'm telling you, I'm five years ahead of the curve on this. Perimeter defense is the best part, uh, is the, the most underrated part of rim protection. You saw that with a team that should be way outmatched in the paint. And yet their guards disrupted so much on the perimeter that Milwaukee couldn't get in the paint. Yeah, he was, he was really impressive. Um, I think my big, if you want the the big overreactionizer take, like the super overreaction, DeMar DeRozan is the worst big time playoff performer of all time. That's funny. Jeez. I feel bad. He had a rough one. I felt awful for him. I like, I, I, it'd be so cool if he would like go off and lead them, but man, it's tough. Levine Uh, a lot of the big ones too down the street. Like there was Vucevic and Levine and, and DeRozan throughout the game. But at the end, I just felt like Levine and Vucevic had these chances that were like, man, if they make this, and they just yeah. missed all of them. And you're like, yeah, Levine, oh, Levine definitely clanked some big shots as well. I kind of feel like the Bucks are going to do what they did with the Heat, where it was like they played badly in game one last year and then swept yeah. because they got away with, with playing badly in game one. Yeah. Uh, I kind of feel like that might happen here, where it's like that was the Bulls' best shot, and they couldn't take it. But maybe not, because the Bucks are always going to torture me with bad shooting performances, no matter how much I trust in them. Uh, I think we covered everything. Yeah. Who's winning Who's winning the finals right now, Adam? After game one of, of the NBA finals. I know what's funny. Uh, I think the Warriors look as good as anybody in this first one. Now, maybe it's because Denver looks so bad. I don't, I mean, that's entirely possible. But I look at that and I go, I'm walked away very impressed from Boston, really impressed from Golden State. Phoenix, I know they're better than what they perform. And then everybody else is just on a different level, a lower level to me. We'll see if that changes in game two. That's going to wrap it up for Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you guys again next time. Until then, we'll see you after the game for post-game reaction. We'll talk to you guys again next time on Locked On Nuggets.